Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. This meeting is being recorded. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. I'm Will Mallard, delighted to be joined by Jilly Barlow. Great to have you on the show, Jilly. Thank you, Will. Lovely to be with you again. So Jilly's a, a previous guest on the podcast and we we did a, uh, a, a couple of epic um, uh, episodes, one about Jilly's life um, and you, you can look, look up more about uh, her background and her website, which is jillybarlow.com. Jilly with a, a G, uh, jillybarlow.com. So check, check her out on there. But we've got a, um, a cautionary tale, uh, and, and it's actually a fascinating story about uh, how a highly experienced operator like yourself uh, who's been involved in um, a, a large number of transactions, both directly your yourself um, and, and and also as a mentor uh, or uh, business advisor to uh, other investors, uh, how you can get into trouble and um, how how you made your way through a pretty tough situation. And uh, I think there's going to be a, a lot of challenging circumstances over the next couple of years. And I think we can all learn a lot from the experience. So do you want to give us a, a quick rundown on uh, what the property concerned is and what the basic uh, outline of um, the deal and where, where it went a bit wrong and, and where we've ended up? Because it's, it's turned out okay in the end, but it was pretty dicey there. Yeah, of course, Will. Yeah, so it's the, uh, my, one of my guest houses in Oxford which I did as an option, I acquired as an option some 10 years ago, uh, and then convert, it was a pub when I got it as an option, and then I converted it into an 11 bed guest house, uh, about a 15 minute walk into the center of Oxford. And I basically acquired it as an option, and then I used investors to buy it, I then refinanced uh, them out with Metro Bank. And then in 2019, I decided to refinance it again uh, to pull some money out to give back to various investors and, and such like. And um, I used a, a building society called Cumberland. Now, Cumberland specialised in uh, guest houses, but believe you me, it was a very hard time because it took them 18 months to actually get the finance in place and, and offer me the mortgage. And my first mortgage payment was December 2019. So literally uh, uh, three months before COVID struck. 
Um, right, and, and that, that, that's not an unusual um, situation where we're in and slightly non-standard properties. Uh, you've got a lot of things going on. This uh, uh, it was going across the commercial finance. Is that that, that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are certain uh, banks that will that aren't necessarily commercial, but but yeah, it's a it's commercial mortgage with um, uh, a building society who specialise in that type of um, property. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, what 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 went wrong at a high level, and we'll, we'll go right back to the beginning into the detail. But but uh, what went wrong at a high level from there? So you you had a mortgage payment in uh, December nineteen, so that that was obviously in place. Absolutely, and we could I continued to pay the mortgage, and then I believe it was April that they rang me up and they said, "Would you like a six month mortgage break?" And I thought they were really brilliant in terms of uh, you know they were. They were ringing me. They were on the, you know, they were really on the ball. They were trying to help people. They were being proactive. Um, and they just straight away said, not three months, they said, would you like a six-month mortgage break? So I said, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Because as uh, a guest house, we had to legally shut down. And there was talk of being able to um, stay open for key workers, but we didn't have any key workers. Uh, and so we had to keep the gas and the electric going. Um, but pretty much everything else I shut down I stopped various um, contracts and I just, you know, hibernated really. Um, but they basically offered me that, which was great. Obviously, in the interim, I got as many grants as I could and I was as savvy as one needed to be in a time like that. And we were very blessed in many ways because we did keep our head above water. However, in September, um, they approached me again and they said, how's it going? And I said, well... We were allowed to open for a matter of a few weeks in the summer, but nobody's coming to the cities. They're all running to the sea, sea at the coast and the mountains, and nobody um, in their right mind was going to the city. Uh, also, the majority of our guests are businessmen and women, and everybody was being made to work from home unless they couldn't. Well, those that couldn't weren't going to guest houses. They were probably going to factories or something, but the point was we didn't have any guests. So I said, well, we've literally had nothing. And, um, you know, they're threatening closing us um, legally again, which, of course, they did in the November. So I said, I'm going to need another six months. So they didn't quibble. They said, OK. Um, and we moved on. Well, the following year, when the six months came to an end, um, I started paying them again. No problem at all. We got through to the November. So now we're talking, sorry, October 2021. And I got a letter dated 25th of October, but it went through my accountant because he's a secretary on my business and company's house. And I received it on the 4th of November. Basically, it said that um, the once I'd gone over the six month mortgage break, all my uh, lack of uh, um, payments were now arrears. And that not only did they want all of the money that I hadn't paid, so they'd originally agreed that it would be attached to the back end of my mortgage, costing me approximately £150 extra a month. They demanded £44,000 by the end of November, and they were calling back the mortgage of £990,000 by the 31st of January. So that's it in a nutshell. Right. And and um, we're just going to jump forward. So you've, you've managed to resolve this situation. You're still with Cumberland. Yes, I am. Um, and um, 
and, and what, what we might do is go back to the beginning of the story. So um, the getting into the deal, um, the if you're comfortable talking numbers and, and details, so you're, you took an option out. Do you want to explain what an option is? Yes, of course. Um, so an option is the option to purchase a property, but not the obligation. So you might find a property uh, on the market, as I did, um, for 495000 uh, You offer, an, well, it wasn't actually, it was on the market when I first found it for 875000 and I actually offered an option. It was far too, it was massively overpriced. So most of the time I offer the purchase price, but in this instance, it was very, very overpriced. So I offered an option of 750,000. So that would mean I'd say I'll buy it, for, I'll potentially buy it for 750,000 pounds. I'd like to do an option for a period of X many years. So I actually just said a year because I wanted to get planning and I will give you X amounts a month until I buy it. So I was paying £1,700 a month for her mortgage because her mortgage was horrendous. She didn't have a large mortgage, but it was on 17%. So it was completely, she wasn't able to cope with it at all. Now, as it happened, they said no to the option in the end. They, they, I offered them 600000 cash and they said yes. And then it was during a bank holiday weekend or just before that. And on the Tuesday after the bank holiday weekend, she said she'd reneged on the deal because somebody had offered her 603. And although people say that's ridiculous, my agent was taking a lot more money um, and um, she every penny counted. She was in a very, very bad state. However, uh, about 10 weeks later, she called me because I would text her every week, say, how are you? Her husband had died. She was in a dire strait. You know, it was really, really sad. They were running off, living off a generator because all their electric had been cut off. The, the place was freezing. Um, and she ran me- they were living in the property at this stage. Yeah, it was a pub at the bottom that was shut down and their accommodation was at the top, her and her children. Mm -hmm. um, it was like an icebox. Anyway, she rang me up crying and she said, I don't know what to do. I said, what's the problem? She said, the man that we allowed to buy it, we accepted the offer for, has fallen off planet Earth and I've been evicted in three days. So that's where it all started. So I ended up doing an option, uh, pay, normally an option, well, a, a box standard option. Uh, I don't know if people have heard of the, the phrase to buy a house for a pound. Well, that's where it comes from. And you, the solicitors have to exchange a pound. And, but it could be something more than that. So I got the investor involved and the investor paid off the arrears. We paid for the electric to be put back. And for the next six months, she lived in the house whilst I helped her find a house. Um, whilst I got planning to convert it from a guest house into from a pub into a guest house, so that's how how it began. And so you had a, a year to get the planning uh, and the, then do the conversion, and you had an option to buy it at four hundred and ninety five thousand. Yes, and so everybody's probably thinking, how did you get it so cheap? Well, by the time she came back to me, I used the six hundred thousand pounds to buy a property in Dean Road in Oxford, and the only money I could get my hands on was about 495,000. So although that doesn't sound very much, <coughs> because she had a small mortgage on it, she still made a couple of 100,000 pound profit. And I found her a property, which I helped her do as an installment contract, which meant that one day she'll own it, which she would never have been able to do at 66 in financial difficulties. So it worked out really, really well. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, you sorted out a, a problem for the vendor uh, and you, you effectively bought it two or three times, but uh, you ended up buying it in the end. Yeah, we bought it in the end in March 2014. Uh, June, sorry, June 2014. Mm-hmm. And, and this is interesting timing-wise because uh, if you, you think about the four or five years prior to that, there were some pretty tough times uh, in lots of different property markets. It varied enormously, uh, but where people were uh, effectively being, um, you know, in situations where they were potentially being repossessed or um, in positions where uh, they were financially struggling. And uh, operating in that space is very different to what I think a lot of people have been used to in the last four or five years, for example. Mm Yeah, indeed. So, so you uh, you purchased um, uh, with investor money at four nine five. Is that, that correct? That's right. And we used investor money to do it up, and we spent two hundred and fifty seven thousand. So we ended up with a mortgage just over eight hundred thousand. Well, I did when I refinanced the whole thing out to Metro, Metro Bank, and pulled all the investor money out. Mm-hmm. And so, what what was that that valuation at? at um, at the point yeah. that I got um, the in, at the point that I got the metro money, it had been valued at one point three five million. Right, which on a um, on a r- roughly eight hundred k deal, that that's uh, all in. You're you're doing pretty well. So 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 well done. Um, and what what was the income like at that stage? Um, income was really amazing. I mean, I ha- I love serviced accommodation. I turned it into a serviced accommodation property and um, I learned very quickly what I didn't need to do. I wasted quite a bit of time and energy worrying about certain things you don't need to even worry about. And from the word go, we were 80% occupied, literally. So the, the, the property was generating between 250 and 320,000 a year. Right. And uh, that, that, that's obviously um, uh, when you take the inflation off, it's even more in, in today's terms. So, uh, okay. So um, you, the investors uh, had put some money in um, and uh, they were obviously happy to get their money back and, and, and a bit of a return. Yep, um, uh, and out of interest, uh, had they come in on a um, like a, a, a fixed rate, uh, like, like how? Yeah, what I did was we got 16 people to give £50,000 and they they got a 1% return per month. Right. So, so um, that that was obviously very attractive for them. Uh, and, and once they'd, they'd uh, got their money back, it was uh, it was shown to be a good investment. Yeah. Um, what what was the, um, the the process for refinance? Was this at this stage? Was this done in your personal name or a limited company? Limited company. So uh, there are two companies. One is the company that holds the asset, and that's mm-hmm. called Osney Arms Limited. Um, and I I just kept it at the same name because it'd been a pub and it was a very fairly known building. I, I, in a way, I probably wished I hadn't kept the same name because it does people still think it's a pub. But the asset company is called the Osney Arms Limited. 
And then my other company is called the Osney Arms Guest House Limited, which is the trading arm. Right, right. So, so you've got a Propco Opco thing going on. That's right. Um, and um, and so you're uh, that's operating away. Um, how uh, how how are you actually managing the um, the service accommodation side of it? Well, service accommodation is something that I I just I think it's a fantastic strategy, and it bothers me enormously the way that people are being talked to run their service accommodation because the most time mo most of the time it's people are teaching them to use flats to do it with flats and to get management companies so they're losing enormous amounts of money whereas i learned you know I, there was no teaching back in 2014 there was nothing not that i knew of anyway um and most teachers weren't even teaching service accommodation so i had to learn as i went and I, I would, I could say that I learned the hard way, but actually there weren't that many hard things that I had to go through. There were some that, have, that still today are making a difference to my revenue because I didn't know what I know now. Um, but certainly you do not need to have a management company and it's more hands-off than any HMO you'll ever have. So I've got three in Oxford and I, I never go there. I, I went to one of them last week because somebody left a plug in the sink and uh, put the tap on all night so it'd come through every level of the building um so i just went there to take a video for the loss adjuster but generally i never ever go there's another one called Diffley townhouse i only go there to show people around on my service accommodation courses it's the only time in all the years we've owned it i've gone there apart from to dress it at the start so the point is all my sa businesses run hands off and i do not employ staff and i do not have a management company Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously, uh, if people are wanting to check you out, they, they can get in touch at uh, JillyBarlow.com. Now, in terms of um, terms of like what what uh, then then happens? Um, you've got a um, go forward a, a, another another uh, several years. Your You've got an eighteen-month period leading into shifting to a uh, a, a fresh refinancing. Uh, so, what what was the value at that stage, and uh, what what was the income? Um, at which stage was that? Sorry, Will. So, so you're you're now moving uh, over towards Cumberland. Yeah. So the value now they valued it with a company called Andrew Forbes, or Andrew Forbes valued it. Um, as 1.65 million, which I thought was a bit low, um, but they value it as a refinance, so it usually comes in a bit lower. I'd had Christie's value it at 1.95 million um, and another agent value it just over 2 million. But it, this was for a refinance and it came in at 1.65 million. And it was now generate, it was generating similar amounts because you know you can only get you can't generate an awful lot more money when you've only got a certain number of rooms. So it was sort of on average 300,000 that was coming in a year. Mm -hmm. Right. So you've got a, um, you, you've taken a asset that total cost was uh, around 800,000. It's now valued and you think it was a bit low at the time uh, at twice that figure. Yep. Um, you've paid out all of the first round of investors. Yep. Um, you're actually able to take a little bit of cash out of the, the deal at this point um, 
from the refinancing separate to the um, and what 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 were the mortgage costs uh, in the previous situation versus the um, the Cumberland one? Uh, so the mortgage for uh, Metro because it was uh, you know it was knocking some of the principal away, so it was just under five thousand pounds. And by the time I refinanced it, the mortgage was only seven hundred and fifty-eight or something. So I chipped quite a, a bit away. When I refinanced with Cumberland, um, it was mostly interest only. Um, and uh, so it went down to £3,300, even mm -hmm. though I was financing it out a lot more money. So my mortgage went up to 990 but my cost was only £3,350. Mm -hmm. On an income that's uh, in the 300000 range? Yeah. Revenue, yeah. Revenue. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and and so what um, terms of your? Um, uh, it sounds like there was a bit of a saga to, to actually get the Cumberland finance in place. Yeah, it was terrible. It was um, very. Talk, talk us through that because I think there's. Um, it's so common that um, people. Um, don't realise all, all the bits of things that are involved with putting. Uh, even even you know one piece of the puzzle together. So talk us through this piece. Yeah, I mean it's it's when you start financing something, it's really important that you have a good team around you. And one of the things I've struggled with, actually, it's only the only thing I've really struggled with is relying on professionals. So I'm not a mortgage broker. Uh, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a solicitor, and it's having people that are, are really looking after you and out for you to do for you what you can't do yourself. Uh, and we had a, a bit of a nightmare with our broker because he is a, I, for anybody out there who's done their dynamic profiles, uh, there's one called Talent Dynamics and Wealth Dynamics, uh, which is Roger Hamilton's, and he was a, a, a creator. And what that means is they start things, they're very visionary, but they don't finish them. And so he was very good at getting people on board. He was a, a creator star, which means he's very good at selling things. A people's person would go and do talks at various meetings and convince people that everybody else was, you know, not doing it the correct way, but he was. Get loads of people uh, to work with him or have him work for them. And then he, they'd all have nervous breakdowns because he would just lie and lie and lie. So every Friday I'd go, you know, what's going on? What's going on? It's Friday again. It's a weekend. What's going on? Um, and he said he'd put in the application for Cumberland in the September. And eventually, which is not, you know, the thing to do, but I did it anyway. I ran Cumberland and he put it in the following end of February. So he'd lied for five, five or so months. Um, and you lose so much time then um, when you don't have that time. So it is really, really important to have people on your team. Since then, I've got a broker who can't do enough for me. And he's such a, um, you know, he really, he's, he's a doer. He's productive. He gets out there and does what needs to be done. Whereas I'm afraid this other one would say he'd done it when he hadn't. He's just out touting for more business, but not actually um, oh, that's, that's any that's awful. It's terrible. Awful. terrible. 
you know, it was a very, I, I try really hard not to get stressed. I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not somebody that stresses easily, uh, but, and I had to work really hard at not being stressed. It's that horrible feeling of, oh, it's Friday. And what would happen is I'd ring up, he goes, oh, the banker on the phone now, I'll ring you back. And then he wouldn't ring me back for two weeks because the, the bank were never on the phone. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was very, very hard. Uh, I think Cumberland weren't brilliant as well. So I'm not going to pin it all on him, but 18 months to refinance something is ludicrous. Uh, it's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so you, you shifted shifted professionals um, and um, you eventually got the uh, the shift over in place and um, and if, if anyone remembers um, December 19, the very first um, mentions of this uh, COVID-19 or uh, what, what turned into a, a fairly significant event in the pandemic uh, yeah. were just starting to come through. So uh, th things were, were looking rosy and, and then the, the music stopped from the sounds of it. Yeah, it did. But I had it set up fairly well and, and I just, you know, the time of COVID didn't really stress me out. Um, everybody was in the same situation. Uh, we all had to stay in our homes. Uh, we all had time. It was one of those, it was that remarkable summer where from March, when we all got shut down, right through to, I think, October, maybe even November, it was hot. Uh, so we had, it was, it was, you know, I've got loads of young adults and children that live in my home. And we had a wonderful time. And with the Osney and with my other businesses, I, I did everything I could to reduce all costs and uh, claim for as much as I could in terms of uh, grants. Uh, and so, you know, we were okay. It was all right. Um, but little did I know that Cumberland were festering um, in the background without actually communicating with me. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. Right, and, and so, uh, just talk me through, like the. We'll jump forward uh, again. So you're you've had a um, a six month um, six month period. It's been extended uh, by another six months. Where your perception was that the money's being rolled up into the end of the mortgage. Yeah. Um, and their understanding is is different. There's a um, where, where where did that that breakdown in the middle, do you think? Um, well, I didn't know anything about it until the till the November. So in May, I gave them £10,000 uh, as a bit of a chunk up front and then started paying the mortgage. Um, somehow, yeah, I mean, I think somehow it had gone on to 13 months instead of 12, I don't know. But um, apparently, they say, they wrote to me in September 20, in September 20, um, when they agreed the second the second six months and said to me, you do realise this will mean you're going into arrears. But the very strange thing is they sent it to my own home. Well, they'd never written to my own home before. Um, I live just outside Wantage and Wantage was during the pandemic, I think one of the top two worst towns for getting posts. We just didn't have any posts because there was no staff. Um, mm -hmm. So... They didn't register it. Isn't that a bit odd? A really important letter like that, that they wouldn't record it or something. But the mm -hmm. weird thing was they sent it to my home, whereas mm -hmm. 
that's never happened before. It always goes through my company secretary. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I never got that letter. So the first I knew of it was when they did send it through my company secretary in the way mm -hmm. that they always have before. The following year, dated the 25th of October, saying it's arrears. Um, we want it all back. We're giving you till the end of November to pay back £44,000. Which is a fair old whack of money. Well, it's all the money that I that I'd not paid because I was getting no income. So to ask me to pay back all 44 of it, they could have asked me, they said to me, um, send a proposal in, because they'd also said, we want to call back the whole mortgage by the 31st of January, um, which was four months, once I paid that, four months later. Oh, it wasn't, it was two months later. So I've got to for, find 44,000 by the end of November and then call back and give them back 990,000. Now, bearing in mind they're specialists in guest houses and they've taken 18, 18 months to give me two months to find somebody to finance. It was just absurd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and so um, we're, we're in early November 2021. How, how are you feeling at that stage? Um, it, it's weird. I, I wasn't, I was, I was shocked at the beginning because you get a letter like that out of the blue when you're paying your mortgage every single month. Um, you're given an extra 10 grand. Uh, you just, you know, it's like a, a bolt out of the blue that, that, that has you like a rabbit in headlights. You're just like, what on earth are they doing? 44,000 was never going to be a problem because I would find it. But to pull back the mortgage by 31st of January or to give back the 990 was absurd. So I rang them up and there's a guy called uh, Bob who was dealing with it. And uh, he said, well, send in a proposal. So on the 6th of November, I sent through a proposal saying that um, I could either give 22 back um, and could they let the other 22, as they promised at the start, be attached to the, the mortgage as such. Um, uh, there were about three proposals I gave them. The worst being I pay the whole 44 back on the basis that they keep me as a client because I'd never defaulted on anything and I haven't. Um, they could contact Metro. I've got a 999% credit score. And so I thought very hard about it and I had some counsel and some help to put through the proposals. Um, and it was absolutely extraordinary. I'm learning to fly and I'd gone off to do some flying exams and it was now the 27th of January, and I'd not heard a word from them. I put those proposals in on the 6th of November. Now, here they are telling me I've got to pay the whole thing back by the 31st of January, and they never got back to me. And when eventually they did, Bob laughed on the phone and said, I know you're not going to like this, Jilly, but we're short of staff because of COVID. And it was, it was, it was just... It was just. It, it was probably funnier for him than you, I suspect. Well, absolutely. I just wanted to actually smack him in the face. Sorry, everybody. It's very unprofessional. But I just yeah. thought, how but can you down the phone? Obviously, yeah. yeah. How can you put somebody under such duress and stress, and threaten to repossess a property that's got the best part of seven hundred thousand profit in it, uh, equity in it, um, and give them so little support and time? and then ask them for a proposal and leave it for three months before you bother to respond. And that's only because I chased them. Anyway, on the 27th, he said, uh, uh, I think we should have a, a conference call um, 
with the new gentleman who's taking over from Bob and the, and the finance guy, Graham. So on the 29th, I had a conference call with them. I was still away doing my exams and they just, just turned around and said, oh no, uh, the board have said they don't like your proposal. They're not willing to look at anything. So they waited three months to tell me that. Well, we're now 29th of January and there's not a hope in hell of getting back their money in two days. Um, and I've been waiting. You know, obviously, we've been talking to people in the meantime. So they, they gave me till April. Um, and as time went on, they kept postponing it. And then what they did was they said, what we want to do is get a valuation of the property done. Now, bearing in mind, they'd had one done with Andrew Forbes in 2019. And they were telling me that this, this, this was not um, being uh, swayed by COVID. I said, excuse me, it's not being swayed by COVID, but it's absolutely everything to do with COVID because I had a mortgage break due to COVID. Anyway, he said, no, but what we mean is we're not going to look at a valuation that includes the lack of income during COVID. I said, fair enough. So they charged me just under four grand. They decided to go to a completely different valuer, which is completely wrong because you need it to be like for like. So they went for, to Colliers, um, who are about the most expensive people in the country, charged me for the valuation and came back with a valuation that was 1.4 as a, as a business, which would mean the bricks and mortar would have been about 1, 1 million, 1.1 million. Well, bearing in mind that was the valuation uh, when I had finished doing the refurb, 1.1 was the bricks and mortar valuation 10 years ago and the uh, business was 1.35, so very close. And I just said, you're, you're having a laugh. So this particular uh, company, they don't normally do guest houses, they do massive commercial things, but they're not known for doing guest houses. And my question was, why didn't you go to Andrew Forbes? They are the people you chose last time. So I just took it upon myself to go to Andrew Forbes and get a valuation done. So I had to pay another 4,000 pounds, and Andrew Forbes came in with a valuation that was 1.65 as bricks and mortar and 1.8 as a business. So I sent off the valuation to Cumberland um, and they wrote me a letter saying, well, now that you're not in default, so they must have been taking into consideration my valuation done by the people they had originally chosen. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll keep and and you, you've, you've uh, just a key point, you're you've paid them uh, back the arrears as well at this yep. point. Yep, I paid them back the arrears, all of it. Yeah, and you're making the regular mortgage payments uh, yep. on time. Always have, always will, except for during COVID, yep. And they, they knew that, but but what's outrageous is, yeah, I mean, you know, I have to be careful what I say, but how that property came in at 1.4, and of course, when it did, they were able to say I was still in default, even though I paid back the uh, mortgage break money, uh, because I was now, uh, I had 60% borrowing of 1.65, which they're now deeming to be 1.4. So they said mm -hmm. I was in default based on the amount of money I'd borrowed and the value of the property today. Well, that mm -hmm. sounds, to me, that's very um, convenient for them to have me still in default. Mm -hmm. And I believe that they did this to other people uh, and, um, you know, if you looked up Cumberland, they weren't, you know, struggling financially, but I think they just wanted to, to bin off certain clients. Uh, so they were doing everything they could to, to, to put me in a position where I 
was in default. Um, but I decided to spend that extra money and go back to Andrew Falls, uh, mm -hmm. which they had to take notice of because that's the person that I borrowed. Based on Andrew Forbes' evaluation back in 2019, I'd got 60% borrowing. That's, mm -hmm. that, that's who they chose. So I went back to them only to, to get a valuation that was higher. Mm -hmm. And we knew it would be higher because valuations, your property's gone up by 12.5% in Oxford, not necessarily all commercial, but you know, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're doing incredibly well. And they, you know, they wrote to me and they said, as you've hit every single goal that you said you would and all the figures that are coming in right, uh, and you're no longer in default. And I, I haven't gone back to them and said, so how come I'm not in default then? Because of my valuation that I have to go and pay more money for to prove you wrong. So I would really like to get the 7,000 pounds back from them. Um, and I would really like them to put the £22,000 at least the first six months onto my mortgage because I went out to an investor and borrowed half of it and I paid half of it. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting one, Will, because a, a few weeks ago, I got sent a link to a watchdog, a watchdog um, case and seven banks. So what, what is watchdog? Watchdog is something, um, as a Kiwi, you might not know. It's incredible. Look it up. It's amazing. Watchdog have a lot of clout in the country um, and they a massive clout. So regarding anything and everything, um, they can fight your corner. And it was a, um, an article about people who'd been treated badly during COVID by banks. And seven uh, banks were, were pretty much forced, although they said they'd offered it, to give 12 million pounds back just for treating clients wrong during COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think there's a, um, there's likely to be uh, lots of uh, poorly handled cases because there's in, in all likelihood, there's going to be a, a lot going on over the next couple of years in the, um, in the, a restructuring of finance arrangements and, you know, people either getting into arrears or uh, struggling to refinance um, if values are coming down. And uh, what, what I'd like to do now, uh, and it's a remarkable sort of story from, from the beginning where you, you, you took uh, control of the asset in a safe way that helped the, the previous owner. Yeah. Uh, you... Uh, kept them afloat, allowed them to move on with their life. Yeah. You got a, um, a, a extremely good buy. You, you've improved the quality of the the property. You've changed the use, and uh, you've you've improved the uh, the business and the business valuation. You've refinanced it uh, uh, twice, um, and uh, you, you've ended up with an asset that. Um, uh, is back up and running um, on a you know a, a more stable footing. Now, <laughs> one of one of the key things that's uh, uh, coming out to me is uh, your your quality of thinking or, or emotional management through some fairly volatile uh, situations on the way up, the way down, and the way back. Um, how do you, you you think about handling yourself? Uh, at these sort of key moments? Um, I think that I'm quite tenacious and I, I do love business. And most things don't scare me 
or frighten them. I think fear cripples you. And it's about moving from struggle to grace. It's about, you know, I'm sure many people have seen that lovely saying that says it's not about, what is it? It's, a, it's not about, it's about riding the storm, but they say it's about dancing in the rain. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's so important to embrace struggle and, and work through it. And, you know, I don't, I, I'm very conscious of struggles creating stress and stress creating sickness. And I don't want that. I don't want to get sick from stress and I want to be able to work my way through it um, in a sensible way. The problem we have in this world, Will, is that it's all about people well before it's about property. It is a world made up of people and those people um, are, are wonderful and also awful. <laughs> those people are, are brilliant and, and, and also hard work. Those people are loving and also quite cruel. And Unfortunately, I think it's all about greed. All these companies, they get, it's greed and fear. And as soon as you get a combination of greed and fear, it's not a good place to be in when you're around those people. But unfortunately, we can't always choose. So if you're in a situation where a bank has suddenly said, right, decided to pull back your, uh, tell you to pull, give back your mortgage or they're gonna repossess your property, you know, you have to think on your feet. And that's a part of me that I love. I love to, I'm a, I'm a deal maker. And, and whenever I say that, I use, I, I'm gesticulating now by pretending I've got a Rubik's cube in my hand. It's a puzzle. And I love to work out that puzzle so that everybody gets what they want, what they need and what makes them happy. And even with someone like Cumberland, you know, I had to know when to say a few words that were harsher um, without, you know, causing a bigger problem for myself, but equally, uh, because I don't want to be a doormat, but equally to learn when I've got to give them what they want in order to make my case better, in order to be able to stay with them. So I think, you know, I, I really believe it's so important to understand how to get through struggling times. And people um, get so sick, they get so scared, whether that's COVID, whether it's business deals, whether it's sickness, you know, it's about understanding how to ride the storm and come out the other side. Right, and uh, what would be your um, number one piece of advice uh, for someone uh, who is in a, a tight situation with a bank? I think that it depends what that situation is. It depends whether it's commercial or whether it's not. Because if it's not commercial, it's a lot easier. Um, I think that banks are being made to help people rather than anything else. Um, you can always talk to ombudsmen if, if there's a real problem and they're digging their heels in. Uh, because, you know, when they've been told they've got to help people through these hard times, not make it worse for them um, and, and make it debilitating in any way. I think it's about getting somebody on your side as well. I've got a broker now who's brilliant and very, very wise when it comes to fighting your corner. So although I'm quite good at uh, certain things, there's other things I really need help with. So terminology, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I might want to write, I'd write emails sometimes just to get this, the frustration out and then I wouldn't send them because you've got to be sensible about how you communicate and the words that you use and so finding somebody to help you 
do that um, so that it's conducive to the result that you want or more likely to be conducive is really, really important. Don't try to do it all on your own. And it's really important as well. I know it sounds crazy, but I had an attitude with the Osney and everybody will tell you this, that if they take it, they take it. It's, it's not gonna be the end of my life. I've had an amazing time running it. It's been an incredible story. I've helped people. I've, I've, I've taken a good sum of money over the last 10 years. My family and I have benefited from it tremendously. It was an incredible, or I always said it was a colossal learning. And if they were gonna take it, how is that going to affect me and my family? Not really. You know, yes, it would be sad because, you know, that's part of my portfolio. But it is just that. It's a building. It's not what pumps blood around my heart. And people get so scared. And I think that it's more scary for people who are, who are having the threat of their own homes taken. And, and one of the reasons I'm so, I say excited, it's terrible to say that, but right now, if people understood purchase lease options, the way that they, they need to, because people overcomplicate it. We could go out there today, and this is what I'm teaching people now, and help so many people in a predicament that means they could lose their home. We don't want people to lose their home. We want to save them before they get repossessed. And it's, it's exciting times in that we can be doing that more so than ever. I offer probably between two and five options a week, often not for me, but for my delegates, just to try and help people out of a sticky situation. Well, Jilly Barlow, you, you can uh, get in touch with her at jillybarlow.com. That's Jilly with a G, jillybarlow.com. So thanks so much for coming on. Um, and we uh, really appreciate this because you've pulled yourself uh, off your, your sick bed. Uh, you, you've been, uh, you've got a touch of the lurgy that seems to be sweeping the country uh, now that everyone's immunity is down after the, the, the pandemic. So um, much appreciated and, and uh, look forward to getting you on again. I'm Will Mallard. This is my Property World podcast uh, and, and we'll, we'll talk again soon. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests. So get in touch via the My Property World profile.